Garvey, thank you so much for taking the time to come here. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, listen, the first thing I usually ask people is where they were born. Right, okay. okay. So I was born in Lansing, Michigan, Lansing, Michigan 1969. 1969, what was yeah. that? I was just about to graduate from high school. Okay. Yeah, okay. And I was born in Lansing from my mom who um, grew up in Ohio okay. and my dad who grew up nearby Detroit. You're the only child? Um, yeah, no, I have a brother and a sister. Okay. Mom and dad, same mom and dad? Uh, my sister, well, we have different moms. My sister okay. has a different mom. Right. My mom has a different mom. All right, so you said a your sister and a Brother? Older brother and a younger sister. Okay, so your your brother and you are from the same mom and dad? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. So how long did your mom and dad stay together? Because I'm assuming they didn't stay together all the way through. Yeah, probably not very long okay. until I was probably pretty young. And then my dad got remarried and then okay. my sister. So who raised you? Uh, primarily my dad. Oh, really? Yeah. That's the same in my situation. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Primarily, so, well, my mom, you know, we saw my mom a lot, but she wanted uh, me to grow up, you know, kind of around a strong dad, so... She, uh, my dad primarily raised us with my stepmom. Okay, how are they doing now? My dad passed away last year. Oh, sorry and to hear then, that. Um, yeah. In Macon, he retired in Macon. He was a school teacher, not a school teacher, but a professor. Mm -hmm. And then he went to, he had a PhD, and okay. then he went on to uh, run international programs at various universities. Right. And uh, eventually retired at uh, Fort Valley State in Macon, Georgia. Mm -hmm. And so that's where he retired, and he passed away last year. How old was he when he passed away? Uh, about almost a year. No, how old was he? Oh, he was 80, 81. That's not, that's kind of young, yeah. Mm, yeah. Was he in Nam? No. Did he, he have didn't, to, he, he, didn't, do didn't, he didn't do any service? He didn't do any service, Okay, so no. he got, he's like my older brother who got, got all the, <laughs> well, he, they didn't have to go in if they got a, I don't think it was even, no, he didn't even have Nam. He was a little bit before Nam, wasn't he? Well, if he was 80, 10 years before, no, he could have been in Nam. Yeah, he could have been in Nam. He could have been, but he got the college deferment, so he stayed in school. Yeah, yeah, because he went all the way right. through school from right. That's what he undergrad did. and then to, you know, university and then Yeah, yeah, guys did school. that. Yeah, I yeah. got caught up and they said no more um, college deferments. In my first year in college, I got my draft notice. And so you went to uh, Vietnam? No, I didn't go to Vietnam. I, when you get drafted, you have to go into the Army mm -hmm. unless you enlist. So I enlisted into the Air Force. Okay. So I would have to go to Vietnam. But ironically, the last place I put in for was Vietnam, and they gave me Japan. That's how I came here. Oh, uh, okay. So yeah. you served here in Japan. I served here in Japan for- How many years? Just two years. Oh, two years. My last two years. I had to extend eight months to get a two-year tour here. Okay. Oh. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. you were never in the service? I was never in the service, no. Okay. Personally, I never was. What about your older brother? He was in the service. He, was, he retired uh, from the military. A few years back, um, he was like 25 years in Naval Academy. Naval Academy? Uh-huh. And then, um, So how would he retire? He retired as a, uh, a commander. A commander. So I'd make him a one-star general or two-star general, something like that? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I don't yeah. know the commander is in the... Because the ranks are different. They're called yeah. something different in the Navy versus the Air yeah, Force. Yeah, So commander, I think captain and admiral. So he, he was a oh, okay, commander. Okay, so he was... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I think yeah, yeah. admiral's a general. Yeah, right. was general. Yeah, right, right. right. Okay. Right. So he did about twenty-five years, and a couple, a couple, uh, a couple uh, tours here in, uh, in in Japan as well. Okay. In Sasebo, and then mostly Sasebo, southern Japan. So how much older is he than you? Uh, two years. Two years? Mm -hmm. So you guys are really close. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you came to visit him when he was here. I did. I did. I That's how I first <laughs> came. After college, I didn't have a job, and so I decided, you know, to come here. And I heard you could 
probably teach English abroad as a way to kind of get some experience and do some travel. And so I uh, came with my kind of resume and, you know, and um, uh, graduation certificate in my back pocket. And then when I found a job, I just applied. And then I had to, like most people, go over to Korea a couple times, get your visa and right, right, like okay. that. And then I ended up, um, I thought I'd be here for one year because I was teaching at like a pretty kind of a bad language school where they had me running around teaching 30 or 35 classes a day. Oh, class a day, okay. And then, you know, I was really busy and then, and then I was like, I can do this for a while. But then I was lucky because the best jobs in Japan are actually like um, universities. Mm -hmm. And I met a friend like, you know, going out or whatever and he was like, I want to teach part-time at my university. And I was like, cool. So I had a really one really good job and one bad job, but fun job teaching kids. When you're 23, you can do anything. But then next year, um, believe it or not, one of the teachers there got in trouble. He was a young African-American guy. I won't say his name, but uh, mm -hmm. someone had sent him some like marijuana that was <laughs> in, in Japan. That's really bad. So the plant, the Japanese ra like raided his house and then um, arrested him. It was a big news in this small city in Nagasaki. And so I was we used to play in like three and three basketball tournaments together. So he was a friend of mine, but I didn't know he was doing any of that. And right. So I figured when they said they wanted an interview, I had no chance. I was young and black too. And then, but then they uh, they offered me a job, and so I ended up teaching there for three. But this years. was the job he had. It was a job he had. I okay, was so he. So and he had been doing this, or was this just the first time I have you sent no idea. it? You don't have an idea. I have no idea what he was doing. And you're doing. glad you don't want to. You don't want to know. I don't want to know. You don't want him calling then, you from jail or anything. <laughs> <laughs> but then they me. offered me a three-year. And you took contract as an as a teacher at university, and so that's why I stayed four years in Nagasaki. But all this time, you were living with your brother? No, no, he had left. He Ooh, was. Wait. I came, visited him, like the Navy in the in the in the in the, uh, in the military. They move around, so he was on a ship. Um, I lived with him when I was looking for a job. But soon after I found a job in Nagasaki, he got transferred to like Hawaii. Okay, and right. you stayed. So you had to go to Korea get your stuff. Keep on. Yeah, but I moved to Nagasaki, which is about an hour and a right. half from Nagasaki. So it was. I was living on my own then. So your brother was 25 when you came here. Yeah, he yeah, he was 25 or something. I was 22 right. or 23 or something like that. Yeah. That's neat. Man. Yeah, That's yeah. really really good. And he had been stationed here for how long? Was his tour here a um, year? Um, he was. A couple. Was he was he was just that was his first tour after Naval Academy. So he was. I think those tours are a little bit shorter, like three years. But then he did some other stuff. He lived abroad, a lot of different places. And then he, I think his final job here, he came back as a base commander or something like that. Um, I forget years. I was already living in D.C. working at NASA, and then he retired from from Sasebo right. and moved back to the United States. But he stayed in the service for a full 25 years. Yes. Wow. Did he get married and have kids? Oh, he did. He did. He married uh, his girlfriend from here in Japan, and they're living in Hawaii right now. Okay, so his wife is a Japanese. Yes. Uh -huh. Okay. Yeah. So tell me this: as a little kid, when you guys were growing up, were you more academic or were you more sports-minded? I was all sports-minded. I wasn't really academic at all, to tell you the truth. Um, you know, I guess one thing that you know was interesting about my my life is my dad. Um, we were living in Detroit, Michigan, and that time Detroit, Michigan wasn't the place it is now. It was kind of a really cool place to find a vibrant place, you know. Um, and we were having a good time, but my dad was, um, he had a PhD, he was working in Detroit Public Schools already, and he came back and said, uh, um, you know, we're moving to Swaziland, Africa, because I got a job as a Peace Corps director there. And so when we were, when I was about my son's age now, maybe nine huh. or something okay. like that, we moved and we lived in Swaziland, you Africa for about two years.
and then um, my dad was Peace Corps director. And so that's kind of when I kind of, first time I'd been abroad, just out of Detroit, Michigan. And so, uh, yeah, then we came, after that we came back. I was you only really stayed for You only stayed for a year? Stayed for like two years. Two years. For Tim, talk, about a little, talk a little bit about that experience. Yeah, and so, uh, I mean, it was interesting. Um, it was my first time being out of, you know, the United States. Um, you know, uh, we went to international schools. Um, living in Swaziland at the time um, was really great. Um, it's a smaller country. They actually changed the name to Mswati now, um, um, Iswati. But uh, it used to be, uh, it was Swaziland when we were there. There was a kingdom, they had a king. And uh, at that time, par apartheid was still pretty, going on pretty strong. And so it was really interesting. My dad kind of grew up in the civil rights. He was kind of this strong African-American man. And then, um, you know, when we go on Swaziland, we were okay because it was, you know, kind of independent country. But if we went across the border, you know, it and was... You could tell right away. Well, you had to go to certain restrooms. Did you, you ever experience any of that? Well, I observed my dad, who was very proud, arguing with these big Africans, telling them they couldn't go to this restaurant, he couldn't go to that, you know, uh, restroom. He had to go to the back restroom kind of thing. So you, my watched dad all this. you watched all this? I watched all that. Yeah, yeah. And see, those, those are your informative years, too, because before you were 12 years old. Yeah. You're still really young. Did you have any African friends? Did you ever make like any tons, I mean, In Swaziland, yeah. And then a lot of... The, I mean, like uh, when you were playing and stuff like that, did you have them that you played with? Sure, and? yeah, yeah. That's, yeah that's, that's when I really got into, like, soccer and everything like that. And so, yeah. So, yeah, we had tons of friends. Uh, but you spoke in English, of course, too. Yeah, I learned a little bit of Swazi, you know, enough to, you know, greetings, Sabona, Yebo, which is like, hello, how are you? It's really close to... It has the base of, like, Zulu. Zulu, okay. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's uh, it's Swazi language, and we we you know I spoke a little bit. You know, we had you know helpers, you know, in that kind of situation, and so we they were friends, and they taught us Swazi. I still remember some of it. Now, tell me, was it just was your dad married? Did he have another wife? So he was no, he was his you know my my stepmom. So all you of us lived there. Okay. My, me and my brother, my sister. And he had no kids by her. Yeah, my sister. My your sister. sister. Okay, yeah, so yeah. you have your sister, you and your brother. Yeah. How much younger is she than you? Uh, about three years. Three, oh, so she's close too. Yeah. Are you guys all close? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's neat. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So your father, so your stepmom raised you yeah. along with, with your my dad. dad. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. So you stayed in Swaziland for a year? For about a year. Well, okay, just a year. A year and a half, right. I think. Or, and, and that's where like, you got your, your passion for. Yeah, so I was saying that's kind of like where I decided that, you know, I wasn't scared to move abroad. So I kind of went back, and like most, like most kids, I would imagine, like myself, who probably relatively good at sports. I was, you know, playing football and basketball. But then when I finished, I, got, I played football in college. I got a football scholarship, that's how I paid for college. And then um, after that, I went to Northeastern University in Boston. Uh, I played quarterback, played a you know, football scholarship. But then after I graduated and I didn't have really a job, um, and my mother was living What abroad, did you study? What I studied uh, journalism, communication. Journalism, okay. Mm -hmm. So what made you decide to go in that route? Uh, I just like to write, I didn't really think much of it. I just like to write and <laughs> I like talking to people kind of like you're doing. So okay. I thought that might be a good career, but I never really, I did a couple internships and stuff like that when I was in grad, when I was in school. But then once I lived in Japan and had a chance to teach English, I knew I wanted to do something international. Okay. So go on. So, okay. So you went up there and you, you got your degree. You, you, wait, but you got through college with a football scholarship. Did you go all the way through with that? Yeah, I played football. Yep. I played football all the way through. What I mean, position? 
was a quarterback. Quarterback, yeah. My brother was a quarterback for Naval Academy, too. So we were both <laughs> quarterbacks. We were both quarterbacks. Are you both the same height, same build? No, he's much taller. He's much more <laughs> a quarterback build. I'm the shortest quarterback probably you could find, but I'm not even six foot, but he's six two or something like that. Oh, so he's that right? natural quarterback size. Okay. But I could throw, you know, um, right. run and shoot. You can run fast, yeah. I can yeah. tell people what to do. Right. <laughs> That's and easy, that's right? Quarterback, just you block, you roll this way. I go remembering plays and... That's you know, nice. study starts. The quarterback's got to be a leader. So it, it's, I think, you know, playing football, I think, is different than any other sport. You know, I don't know if I want my son to play football because, you know, I still got bad knees for football. And it's, you're not going to play football without getting injuries probably. But the one true. good thing about football is, like, it teaches you that in life, you know, if you get knocked down, you got to get back up. <laughs> and uh, you can't lay there in football, right? And so I, I was thought football was good for, like, training you how to be tough mm -hmm. but uh yeah so i played all the way through and was lucky enough to work hard and get a scholarship to college and then uh you know and then i was able to play led that into a international career i'm not sure how it happened but it just we were kind of trying to kind of guide us there because there might be other people looking at you and thinking hey i want to do what he's doing and and, yeah. and 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 find out the way you went through was it luck or something or which one like you get your international career. Okay, so you're in college. You get your so degree. So I'm in college. In I finish. I play football. I'm right. fully full of football. You know, I'm okay, you know, academically. Right. Uh, my brother. Okay, like what? 3.0 or something like okay. that. On the football right. team, I'm a star because I make the honor roll. And the rest of the school, I'm, I'm a dummy, right? So it's, <laughs> okay. like, it's like it's all what you compare it to right, in right, life. Okay. You know, on the football team, right. I'm the highest GPA on the team. <laughs> <laughs> all my friends who are just walking around right, campus, right. they all got three nines and right, fours, right. and they're like, right. you only got that. Right. Like, what's wrong it's with okay, you? It's okay, but I'm a football star. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. It's funny, my wife looked at my, when we were doing all this stuff for the you know, job and everything, she looked at my you know, high school, and, and in high school I was like probably around two, seven, three. I thought I was smart, <laughs> you know, and she was just like, you got that, you know, she's like 4.0, whatever, she's like, you got that, and then in college, I was like 3.0, I thought I was, I, I thought I was like, because I mean, everybody on my team was trying, you're talking to, was trying, trying to stay eligible, right. Right? Like, they're like, they're like, you got a 3.0, man, Garvey, you're smart. How you yeah. do, this brother's smart, this brother's this smart. smart as hell. Until I leave that locker room, and I was like, <laughs> then you say, you get out in the real world, you say, man, I'm just barely making it. Yeah, so I was just uh, above average. You know, through whatever B average student, right. um, uh, but it was you know the thing about sports is that um, you know it's it teaches you so many things. Like when I was in a dormitory in college, all my next door neighbors were just uh, partying, having a good time, studying. But you know, I had to wake up at six o'clock in the morning for practice, right? Go to breakfast, go to class, go to practice, go to study hall. And start the day again you know so it was like it was a pretty tough road real regimented road but I think it taught you a lot of discipline so some of the things you may not get as a regular student because you're doing all this football mm -hmm. stuff mm -hmm. um, I think it teaches you how to be organized and regimented and I always got my best grades actually during football season because every other time I was having such a good time I wouldn't study mm -hmm. but during football season you everything to, was planned say. everything was planned so I um, so yeah so I I did that and then I graduated and then I taught English and then I came back to graduate school after You taught that. English where? In Nagasaki. And so wait, so straight out of college. Oh, that's right. As soon as you finished college, college, you hadn't, didn't have a job. Right. You said, hey, bro, can you hook me up? Can, you, can I come and visit you I'm in Japan? Come visit you and never leave. And then I right, never <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and went to Nagasaki, taught English. Had he already gotten married at that time? 
Uh, no, no, he was did, single. Did he have his girlfriend or anything? Uh, did he meet her then? It was another time. Uh, he met her later. Okay, later. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. All right. And then, um, and so then, yeah, and then, um, then did that, and then uh, decided that uh, I wanted to pursue an international career. Right. And so went back to graduate school and a small graduate school called Middlebury Institute of International Studies. It's called Monterey. It used to be when I was there. Monterey Institute of International Studies. No, That's where I had my wife been, there. How long had you been here before that happened? Four years. Four and then years. something you just said, okay, this is... Like I already knew after that I wanted to pursue an international career. Okay. And so I knew, I knew to do that I probably needed to go back and get a, now, a what, master's what, degree. When you say international career, what do you... What, I thought what I would mindset, always... What does that mean? I always thought I'd work for the... Kind of like what I'm doing, but not through NASA. I always thought that I would uh, work for the State Department. I would always okay. thought like a foreign service officer. Okay, that's what you wanted to yes. do. Okay, so yes. that's what you thought. Or the when government. You international career. Yeah, something like that, like the okay. government, representing the government or representing somebody abroad. Well, you have a chance to travel. You try to travel <clears throat> okay. and live abroad and experience that. Right? Okay, mm -hmm. okay, okay. So then how did it happen? So then I went to graduate school and studied international policy and international relations. Right. And then, um, well, and then I guess um, when I when I came to graduate school, I thought that I needed more work experience. So I applied for a couple internships. And so I took two years off of graduate school. Um, I, lived, I, worked in, I lived in the Netherlands and worked for the United Nations. There's an organization that's called the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons, um, which is kind of looks at how to make sure that people aren't using chemical technologies to build weapons, but also giving access to Timo Technologies to kind of developing countries. And that's an organization within the United Nations. So I lived in Holland for about nine months. You, you got that job? I got that, I got that internship. How'd you know about that? How'd you find I, out about that? In my school, they had, they, oh, yeah. they, they had this abroad, they had this relationship with these um, United Nations organizations where they would send students there for about a year right. to, have, to work for the organization and get paid for the organization, but like kind of a semi-internship. So but you, I, but you I talk, wait, 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 I want to hear the entry. Right. So you talk to someone and someone came to you and said, man, you should check this out, man, because you can do this in chemical, you know. Well, I, well I, let me take one step back. So when I was in Nagasaki, yes. Japan, in southern Japan, um, um, I live right next to the atomic bomb museum, and so that kind of had left an impression on me. And so when I said when I wanted to go back to graduate school, I decided that I was my, one of the school I chose had a focus on nonproliferation, which is how to make sure that people don't spread bad technologies, nuclear technologies, chemical weapons technologies, biotechnology technologies to, um, to bad actors and stuff like that. And how to make sure, kind of like what I, was, what I did in my internship, how do those, how those, countries, developing countries can access the technologies for peaceful purposes. And so I, that was my focus area. And so through that focus area, they had these internships of various UN organizations. I got you. Okay. Right. So I, was, I applied and was able to get one of those. And at the same time, I applied for an internship. It's called the Bourne Fellowship. It's kind of a little bit like a, a Fulbright. Okay. Where they send you abroad um, to do some research for your um, for your uh, your thesis or your one of the one of the, I was taking a class in, in um, Vietnam in Southeast Asia, so this Bourne Fellowship I applied to um, to uh, to get that the Bourne Bourne Fellowship and so I got I was able to get them both, um, well, and then 
So I went, I spent a year in Holland and a year in Vietnam during my graduate school year. And two years, in Ho one year in Holland, one year in Vietnam. Is that unusual or what? Is that something uh, It was just something do? I did to do just to get different experiences okay. for my resume so I okay. knew when I, when I was looking for a job or when I applied yeah. for the State Department, which I thought I was going to do, I'd have a lot of international experience, including my experience in Japan. Wait, no, you have mentors, somebody, who's guiding you along? Your father, your brother, yeah. somebody? So my dad was, <laughs> well, funny thing about it, is my dad, um, he's, he's, he was always, since he came back from Swaziland, he was kind of known as this international person and kind of parlayed that to a career and he went to a couple universities running their international programs. And so the Bourne Fellowship, he sat on the board and he told me that they can't find any African Americans to apply for these kind of fellowships who know languages. So all you gotta do is write your name correctly. If you you're in there, you're in. Okay, good. Tell so, me the well, deal. Well, Tell me the deal. Well, I'm not not that. Okay. You know, I, I didn't. I had to write a proposal for it. But in, right. So the one at school, I did. But the one, the boring, my dad kind of told me about it. And so I applied okay. and was able to get okay. that. Okay. Okay. And so I took two years off. But I guess the Bourne Fellowship was a government fellowship, and so the government pays for you to do everything, and then in turn, they want you to come back for government and work for the government. It's a way to kind of entice talented young people right, right. who know languages and about international careers sure. into the government. Well, the, you wanted that anyway. I did. The congressman yeah. who did it, David O. Bourne, was infected by Vietnam, as you talked about, and he felt like the United States was getting involved in situations where they didn't know about the local areas or the communities. And so I just happened to go to Vietnam. but. He started this program for like less commonly taught languages. So you can't do Italian, French. It's got to be like Arabic or Vietnamese or Indonesian. Mm -hmm. So that was the fellowship that I, I applied for and I got. And so I just happened to get Vietnam, which was kind of the impetus at the time why he started this fellowship. Did you have to start learning Vietnamese? Yes, I started. I learned Vietnamese in the U.S. and I learned Vietnamese um, for a year, the year I was there. Do you so get to use it now? Do you still get to use it um, sometimes? Occasionally, if I go to a Vietnamese restaurant, they're a little bit surprised. <laughs> and my favorite, my favorite uh, story of all time was um, was at that time they used to have like internet cafes. They don't have them anymore. All in Vietnam, developing countries. So these young Japanese girls come in, and they don't speak any Vietnamese, and uh, and I was, they didn't know if they spoke English or whatever. But I spoke Vietnamese at the time, and I still remember Japanese. So here's this African-American dude from Detroit interpreting for these Japanese people into Vietnamese. And back in the Japanese, that, 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 that was my joint. claim to fame. That's the joint. That's the joint, man. <laughs> that was my probably proudest moment ever. I was, man. That's dynamite. That's and, so then, uh, and so then when I finished the Bourne Fellowship, um, I had to come back and work for the government, so I started looking for jobs. And NASA had a job working in the International Relations Office that they now just happened to have. How'd you hear about that? How'd you hear about that? I, I looked on the Bourne website. Okay, so that's something. And they and the thing about the Bourne is you to get into government is usually pretty hard, but if you do the Bourne Fellowship, you have a special hiring authority. It means they can just look at your resume. You usually have to go through those complicated USA jobs, and so they could just look at your resume. And so they, you know, looked at my resume and decided my international career and international experience that they wanted to hire me. So I started working at NASA in 2003 in the International Relations Office. So you've been there for 10, wait. 20 years. 20 years now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 2003 to 20, 2023. So. Doing what you're doing. Well, um, most of the time I worked at NASA headquarters. 
Okay. And then, would you do you that? Know, what was your job there? Just working. So, international relations office. You're probably writing a lot of international agreements. Um, one of the things you'll do is travel with a lot of senior folks when they travel. So, I probably traveled negotiating an agreement or traveling with someone senior than that, the head of NASA or somebody like that, another very senior person, probably to 30, 35 countries, you know, representing NASA in some mm -hmm. capacity mm -hmm. over my. How'd your father feel about it when career. you got NASA? Oh, he was, I mean, he was excited he to have an international career because he felt like, you know, um, all, of my, all of us did. My brother right. was in the military, right. in the Naval Academy. I ended up at NASA working in the yeah. International Relations Office, right. and my sister still lives in the UK, and so she's done, she works for BP. She's their head okay. of communication, British Petroleum, the okay. oil company. B oh, BP, okay, BP. BP. I'm sorry, I, yeah, yeah, I yeah. thought you said VP. No, no, VP. BP. BP, okay. Yeah, yeah. So yes. she works for BP. Okay. And, and she's, she's been doing that for a while, too? Yes, yeah, she's done two tours in Indonesia. Now she lives in the UK. Is she so married? Yeah, she's married. She how many three kids? kids? Three, three kids. kids. Yeah. So all of you, how many kids do you have? I have two. Two kids. And yeah. how old are your kids? Uh, 12 and 10. 12 and 10. A boy and a girl? A boy and a girl, yeah. Look at you. I tried. I tried three times to have a girl. The fourth one I wanted to make sure was a boy. <laughs> I didn't want to do that to my sons because <laughs> to have a girl, the last one that was a girl, they would have caught hell. Oh, my yeah. first three boys. That's interesting. So your father had to feel really proud of his children doing what they've done, and he, he did all he could to do to make sure that you guys had a good foundation. Sure, I think so. Yeah, I mean, I my think goodness. Uh, did he, he said that before, when he, before he passed. He was like, you know, I'm really proud of the things you guys may have accomplished, and and you know, represent, you know, kind of the foundation I laid by, you know, moving, picking up and moving to Detroit and Swaziland, and giving that an international experience. So, you know, I'm hoping that passed on to my kids too. That you know. You know, having a chance to like challenge yourself and live in Japan, it's not easy, but um, it, I think it, it may it makes a, you know a, a big impact on your life. I heard something recently that nothing's not easy. They said pick your heart, because it's all hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, getting up in the morning is hard. Staying in bed all day is hard. Okay. You got to pick up your pick your hearts because some hearts have a reward at the end of them. Right, right, right. So your father picking up going to Swaziland that was hard. That was hard. Yeah. But that the was reward nice, yeah. was worth it. I agree. You see what I'm saying? So your kid's coming over here. It's hard. Yeah. But yeah. the reward is worth it. Yeah. Because staying in Detroit would be hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's no reward for that necessarily. Yeah. There may be, but, you know, chances are, if you're thinking internationally, it's not going to be the same. It's not going to be the same. And That's when you're learning a different language or a different culture, you're almost like a little kid again, right? And doesn't it change your, for you? You speak how many languages now? Uh, probably, my, probably my Japanese, obviously, is the best. And then... Vietnamese, and then I try to study Dutch, but everybody there speaks English, so they won't let you speak Dutch as much as you <laughs> no, try. You better, you better live here if my, you want to live. Besides translating from Japan, uh, Vietnamese, Japanese to Vietnamese, my second um, proudest moment is when I studied, tried to study Dutch real hard, and then um, you know I'd go to Dutch places, and so they don't know immediately. People just think that everybody from Holland is like six foot five and because they most hair. of them are. But yeah. there's, but I know this. Don't know, I know that's true. That's but true. people don't know that half of Suriname's population, that's right, from lives in Holland because they occupied right. Yeah, time. So, they sure did, so right. there's tons of people who look like me that's in, right. in Holland. That's true. So that's they true. don't know immediately that you don't speak Dutch. Right. So they'll um, speak to you in Dutch. Well, uh, when I look, you know, when I my biggest moment is I was able to convince a cashier that I that I wasn't like American and I was for about two minutes and he said finally he said you're American it's supposed to be in English but first I was like Atasha I should believe and you know and I was saying my best Dutch at the time 
And at the time he was like, oh, yeah. And he started, then he was like, wait a minute. You're American. <laughs> and so I was like, two minutes. I got him for two minutes. So that was my. That's your claim to fame. Yeah, it's in Holland, right? Because everybody in Holland <laughs> speaks really good English. But yeah. That's true. That's yeah. true. I'm with you. And they speak several languages they do, because they have sure. such a tourist industry. Yeah. I had a homeless guy like say to me, like, uh, um, This is in Holland. In Holland. Okay. Um, you know, in Dutch, can I get some money? Um, in Spanish, can I get some money? In French, can I get some money? And finally, he said, "You're American, right? Can I get some money?" <laughs> so he spoke. I was like, "Ah, I don't know what you're talking about." So I was trying to just like act like I didn't know what he was talking he about. Said, I'll, so figure I, I'll figure it out. I'm gonna find it. So he was homeless, but he spoke like five different languages. Wait, wait, wait. So, yeah, he's got to live. Everybody, even the homeless, have to live. <laughs> everybody in Holland uh, speaks. You know, That's good. So, languages. how long were you in Holland? Did you just, uh, is that about just nine months? That was my internship. Internship. You know, right. That was in Holland. That was my internship. So that was about nine months. Wow. So tell me, you're a NASA representative. So you go around. What's your job basically? Yeah. So it changes on a daily basis. Oh, does um, it? I think you know my primary job is um, you know I'm a part of the U.S. ambassador to Japan or whoever's representing you know the the highest person here. Um, we've had some ambassadors leave, and you know, some acting ambassadors. Um, whoever that person is, um, I'm their senior space person, so um, I advise him or her on space activities. I think that's a big role responsibility. But I'm a NASA employee. NASA pays my salary, and so I do a lot of correspondence back to the U.S. and Washington and Johnson Space Center and Kennedy Space Center. Um, but my primary role is to kind of advance our activities, whatever that may be, in Japan, write a lot of reports, um, make sure people understand what's going on in Japan. But my title is as a NASA Asia representative, so um, I try to keep a good track of what's going on related to space in the entire region and, and just try to keep NASA informed about activities in the region. So, you know, when we do want to work with some of these countries that, you know, they're well informed and can make informed decisions. Well, you just, I just came away from your birthday party. You invited me to, which I feel so honored to be invited to your party, just meeting you. And there, the last female, well, not female, I said one of only two Japanese females who've ever been up in the shuttle. Yeah. And she was the last one to be on the shuttle. Last Japanese astronaut. Naoko Yamazaki. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, that was quite that was quite the event to come there. And a matter of fact, she said she'll agree to do a podcast with me. She said in about middle of April or sure. so. Should be great. So that's going to be fantastic. You got some great. really heavy hitters, as we say, at your party. You know, I'd like to include myself, but still. Yeah, <laughs> <sure>. <laughs> but I mean, it was, yeah, it was I mean, nice. um, I think one of the treats about being in my job is that, um, and then maybe somebody like. Naoko might appreciate is, you know, being, it might be not be a heavy hitter to you, but, you know, I traveled a lot with the NASA administrator, you know, Charlie Bolden, who's a very famous, uh, you know, African-American astronaut who's been to space, I think, four or five times, um, is a friend of mine. And, uh, and so I think one of the things that I think that when you, you're around like really high level people like that, you just you realize that you just they're just people. You just treat them as people, like you truth. know. And so and so, I think, you know, um, personally, I just try to, you know, I'm treat them with respect, like like That's they true. deserve. But um, just everybody's a person. I found and that I found that in the positions I've been fortunate enough to hold here, 
um, as being the first African-American president of the American Chamber here. You just saw that. No, of the American Chamber. I oh, can American tell you about Chamber. that. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, yeah. the American of the ACCJ? The ACCJ was oh, the right. first African-American. The first, the only black they've ever had as president of that, and that was in 2003. All right. And at that time, Ambassador Baker, I was already VP, and oh, I'd right. been VP, and that was in the position I was interested in. I didn't think I could be right. president of the American Chamber because everyone prior to me, Fortune 500 c company, Ivy League college, and they were white. So here I am, a black guy with his own independent company, right? Not a college degree because I went into the Air Force. Right. I said, there's no way in the world. But when they asked me and I ran, mm -hmm. now I don't know if they were voting for me or against the person who was running with me, <laughs> so I don't know. But I got all the votes. Doesn't matter, you won by a landslide. That's Ambassador, all Ambassador Baker called me in. Now he'd seen me at the morning breakfasts we always had. The ACJ had morning breakfasts once a month or so with him. And he called me in, and he wanted to talk to me privately. Now, he saw me. I was the only black guy on the board anyway. So I come in, and I was curious as to what he wanted me in for. And he's want, looking at the Japan Times when I came in. He just, you know, you know how the office is set up. Sure, so I walked sure, in sure. there. He was right up here. The door's right over here. And he's at his, I, you could, they could change it around. But his desk was on this side mm -hmm. when you come in the door. And you sat over here. And he had the Japan Times up. And it had first African-American, President of the American Chamber. 50-year-old Lance Lee. He said, you're 50 years old? <laughs> I thought you were some little whippersnapper, some little whip behind the ears. Uh, I, you're 50? <laughs> he thought I was, that's why I didn't talk to you. I thought you were like in your 30s or something, 50 years old. I said, yes, sir. And he said, my goodness. We went golfing together after that. He invited me and my wife over to his home. Oh, I got great. a full tour of the, you know, the embassy yeah, yeah. residence yeah. and everything. I didn't know it had ele elevators in it. And he saw his, his living room. He didn't take me into the back and the side, but living room, he had big dogs. It was fantastic. He and I became very close. He gave me, he was a photographer, so he gave me some of his um, prints. Uh, he said, pick what you want. And he showed me this one. It had this black kid on a porch, raggedy clothes like that. He said, where do you think this is? And I said, Africa? He said, no, Mississippi. Oh, yeah. And I said, hmm. So it's interesting. So being the first, that's something else, too. You spoke here, but there's only been five NASA representatives here. Mm -hmm. You're the fifth, am I correct? Yes. Uh -huh. And you're the only African-American they've ever had, the first African-American they've had here. Well, the first African-American rep. NASA has had right Do they have any other representatives? No, so I'm the first African-American abroad, period. Abroad, period. Yeah, because we've had, we have positions, we have in here, um, Moscow, and, and Paris. Here Three. Moscow and Paris. So you're the first African-American internationally with NASA? Yes. Uh -huh. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So how did it feel to be the first? I mean, did you find anything? Because they say sometimes, I was going to look up quotes of, the first, and I did look up, and I could keep, there's so many African Americans that have quotes about, that are famous, that have done sure. things, sure. you know, like yourself, and what it's like. Do you have anything you'd like to say? I guess, you know, Tokyo is, in some ways, kind of a lot easier than living in a small city, just in terms of, well, not easier, but just a different experience living in a small city like Nagasaki. When I was in Nagasaki in 1990. Right after college, um, there would be times I'd go out and, and buses would stop, and the kids would point. You know, not and I never thought it was racism or anything. I thought it was just like it's that curiosity. was the first curiosity, the first African American. And that never happens in Tokyo. So I, I when I when I got this job, I never. I mean, in my position, 
you know, you may not be the first, but there's half the meetings I'm in, you're the only African-American meeting at NASA, right? So it's not like, you're just kind of so used to it, to tell you the truth, in a lot of situations. Kind of like it? Um, no, it's, it's not, it's just, it's like, I don't really think about it because, okay. you don't just, need to. I mean, when you're, the higher you grow up in career and life like that, you're going to be, there's going to be a lot of instances where you're going to be the only African-American in the room or, you know, and so I just think you just kind of like know how to handle yourself and it does, it's not strange to you. So when mm -hmm. I got this job, I'd already lived in Japan and so I'd already had that experience living in Japan. I was more worried about my family because I'd never been here. But um, I just wanted to do my best job to kind of represent. And then, you know, I learned at a young age that, um, um, that um, you know, when I was in Nagasaki, you know, that and those, those people would point or you'd go to school and they'd want to, I had hair at the time, so they want to touch your hair or whatever. That, uh, you know, they, you may be the first, you probably the first African-American they met and you may, you know, maybe they'll, I'm sure they'll meet more in their life, but I mean, you, you know, their impression of African-Americans may be from what they get from you. So you want to kind of leave a positive lasting impression. So it wasn't so, you know, I don't really think when people um, kind of get surprised or do something that might be out of the ordinary. I think more times it's just out of, you know, curiosity or, you know, just ignorance or whatever because they just never had that experience. And so, I, before I end the podcast, mm -hmm. I always like to ask this question: With the knowledge you have now, mm -hmm. if you could go back in time and talk to the younger Garvey, what time would you go back to, and what advice would you give this younger Garvey? Very good question. Um, I probably, um, I mean, I think, you know, the path that I got, that I got was, wasn't necessarily easy, but it was, um, it was worth it. You know, each experience and each relationship has been valuable, but it'd probably tell my, when I always tell my kids, like, you know, um, you know, take advantage of different situations, um, keep in touch with people, um, tell the people how much you appreciate whatever the impact they made on your life. I mean, you know, I try to do that now, and now it's a little bit easier with social media, so you can look up people on LinkedIn or something like that and, and try to catch up with them, but there's so many people who maybe made a positive impact on my life who never knew, and maybe helped me get to where I knew who never knew. And so I think um, I try to do better recently at you know reaching out to people and telling them and you know keeping in touch with people you know like I mentioned the former NASA administrator um, you know I travel with him I mean, he's one of the probably one of the most famous people in the United States you know national have flown the NASA administrator you know, Charlie Bolden but now you know we're friends because he's retired and you know he you know is before he's you can, so your relationships always change with people so I would say that. Um, you know, try to do a better job of, of keeping in touch with people. You know, because when I was younger, it was hard with social media, but there's so many people who passed away, high school coaches or high school mentors or teachers or whatever, that I never... How old would you be, would you be, how old would you be when you'd be telling yourself this? I'd probably, you know, I'd probably try to start at a junior, at a, at a young age, but realistically, maybe junior high school, high school. Junior high school? Because you, know, you think a lot of people, we weren't, it was, it was difficult, as you said, when, first of all, yeah. you couldn't find them in the yellow pages. But you're not that young. Huh? Did you know about the yellow pages? Yes. Okay. Of course, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm saying it's like, yeah. you know, what, what you <coughs> asked me like what like that, and I would say that try to, you know, mm -hmm. relationships are so important. 
And and there's so many people that growing up that you know gave me good advice or helped me out, like my dad's friends. But I don't know where they are. So nice. just I know it's hard. You know, it's really hard. But I guess that would be the advice. Try to do a good job of keeping in touch with people. And it's and it's really hard because you know the more experience you have, the more relationships you you, you kind of have. Garvey, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Really appreciate it. Okay. I want to thank all of you for watching this podcast. Make sure you press like and subscribe. And never forget, it's all on loan, so continue to reach for the stars because you're too blessed to be stressed.